This is Rabbi Sharon Brous, Rabbi Adikar, where we're dedicated to reinvigorating Jewish community, ritual, and learning, all while laying the foundation for a just and loving society. You're listening to Ikar's podcast, where you can hear our sermons from Shabbat and holidays, our teachings, our guest speakers, basically anything we think worth hearing that we can capture and stream, you can listen to right here. The whole Megillah. I mean, literally the whole Megillah. So thank you so much for being with us. I remember exactly where I was. It was a Sunday morning, November 5th, 1995, and my brother and I were at our friend's house. We had actually been there a few days because my parents were in Israel on a group trip. Our friend's parents called us into the family room alongside their two children and told us to sit on the couch. Yitzchak Rabin was shot and killed last night. Your parents are safe. They'll be home in a few days, but it's a very sad time in Israel right now. I don't remember what questions we asked, but I do remember crying, probably unsure which tears were for my parents and the thought that they might be in danger and which tears were for Israel and Rabin, the homeland I loved and the man I knew we hoped would finally bring peace. I learned in the coming days that the Prime Minister had been assassinated by a Jew, a fact I could not comprehend at age eight. But what I understand now is perhaps even more difficult. Rabin's assassin, Yigal Amir, was steeped in a world of religious and nationalist Zionism that deeply opposed Israel's trajectory towards peace with the Palestinians. In the settlements where Amir studied and where a dangerous ideology was gaining strength, there were pamphlets going around, debating whether or not Rabin should be classified as a rodef, a legal term applied to someone who is pursuing another, someone who is actively on their way to commit murder. The twisted logic being, by signing the Oslo Accords, by agreeing to withdraw from the West Bank, by doing what was necessary to help create a Palestinian state alongside Israel, Rabin was endangering the Jewish people. At his trial, Amir said, I acted according to Din Rodef, meaning that he felt it was halachically justified to murder Rabin before Rabin could give away any more of the quote, biblical heritage which they had reclaimed by establishing settlements. 27 years later, I'm still crying for both. I'm crying for my family, my cousins, uncles, and aunts from Hora Sharon who were here in LA just two weeks ago, who told me that they're terrified that Jewish extremists will destroy their country, who feared the very results we just received from the elections. I'm crying that their children might not grow up in a democracy, that hate and xenophobia will broadcast from the highest positions of leadership. I'm crying for Israel, the place, the people, the dream I love so dearly. I'm crying that two men, Itamar, Ben Gvir, and Salel Smatritz, once considered too extreme to hold power, too fanatic, to be taken seriously by the mainstream now represent the third largest faction in parliament. 
that so many of our kin in Israel see themselves represented by an ideology that proposes the expulsion of non-loyal Israeli Arab citizens, that promotes, provokes, and defends settler violence against Palestinians and openly derides the LGBTQ plus and non-Orthodox communities. I'm crying because I don't know when peace will come and how many more innocent Palestinians, Israeli Arabs, and Israeli Jews will suffer as we move painfully and dangerously further from that horizon. It's with these eyes, clouded by tears, that I turn to this week's Parsha, turn to this journey that Avram and Sarai courageously embarked on, and this time felt distinctly, what about Lot? What do we make of the fact that he was there from the very beginning? He took the same first steps as his uncle Avram. They were a team until they weren't. What happened and where do we go from there? So bear with me. I'm going to take us on a careful look of the text in order to reemerge to the present moment facing us and Israel. Vaikach Avram et Sarai viet Lot ben Achiv viet kol rechusham. And Avram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions. The great Torah commentator Nechama Leibovitch highlights the unity of their departure. What belonged to Avram belonged to Lot and vice versa. Their possessions merged into one category, one movement of one family. They travel from place to place until a famine hits and the family heads to Egypt for a brief stay. But upon leaving Egypt, the language subtly shifts and Avram went out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and Lot with him. Leibovitch points out that the order of the words in this verse is not accidental. When they departed on their journey, Lot was an integral part of the family and their property was held in common. But when they came back out of Egypt, we are confronted with the existence of two separate families. The Torah reports that they now have separate possessions and it's their wealth, the text suggests, that generates conflict between them. Their cattle herders quarrel about who gets the graze their sheep wear. So trying to stave off a bigger conflict, Avram proposes a separation. You take your land and I'll take mine. Lot looks out into the distance, lays claims to the plains of Jordan, and settles near Sodom. It's a painful moment. A what-if moment. Could they have found a way to resolve their differences, to graze together, to merge their wealth once again, to adopt a model of collaboration, not competition? But the rabbis suggest that the conflict wasn't simply economic. Rather, Avram and Lot were headed on different moral paths. The Midrash in Breshit Rabbah teaches that Lot's shepherds grazed their cattle on other people's fields. When Avram's shepherds rebuked them for this act of robbery, they replied, the entirety of the land has been given to Avram, and he has no son, so Lot will be his heir. Hence, no robbery. In other words, I'm not stealing from the other inhabitants of this land because God promised this land to Avram, 
And I'm not stealing from Avram since this will eventually be mine. But the very next thing the Torah says after the report of the shepherds quarreling is the following. And the Canaanite and the Prezite dwelled in the land. Meaning, the Torah is reminding Lot, reminding us that Lot cannot graze his cattle wherever he pleases. This land is shared by other inhabitants. Perhaps it's the beginning of Lot's corruption of character that attracts him to Sodom, a place already well known for its wickedness. Sodom is a state of being, characterized by greed and xenophobia as becomes clear in their treatment of the stranger in next week's Parsha. The tragedy of Lot is that the man who once exhibited the courage of Avram, who walked with him, now walks further and further into the depths of Sodom. As Rabbi Tzadok showed me, it's even evident in the language of the text. In chapter 12, Lot settles near Sodom, Ad Sodom. In chapter 14, in Sodom, Bi Sodom. And then in chapter 19, on the precipice of its destruction, in the gate of Sodom, which Rashi explains, listen to this, means that Lot had become a judge of Sodom. He's now a part of their government. You likely know where I'm going next, why I've taken this time to explore the character of Lot and the troublesome path he traveled. I am deeply concerned that Israel is following the trajectory of Lot. That the country, once headed on an uncertain yet hopeful path, has turned the wrong way, voting into power men whose flock will graze on anyone's land, claiming ownership regardless of who already lives there. Men who have moved closer and closer to Sodom, glorifying violence and spewing dangerous rhetoric. Three weeks before Rabin's assassination, a young man appeared on television holding a Cadillac emblem stolen from Rabin's car and said, we got to his car and we'll get to him too. That man was Itamar Ben Gvir, once a rejected extremist on the fringes, now an embraced one at the center of power. Despite the dangers he and his followers present, let me be clear. Israel is not Sodom. But how close can Lot get to the city without being swallowed by it and its corrupt values? There are two moments in Lot's life that I'm holding onto as tightly as I can right now that I'm praying that American Jews will hold on to right now for our sake and for the sake of our family in Israel. The first I've shared, the image of Lot, Avram, and Sarai setting off together, the explicit reminder of the text is that this is one family. If in this metaphor Israel is Lot, that makes us Avram and Sarai. It makes us the family that shares a common origin, that shares the faith that we could travel somewhere better together. There may be times where we need to say like Avram did, you go this way and we'll go that way, but that separation doesn't dissolve the kinship. 
Rashi explains that in that moment, what Avram is saying is, Wherever you settle, I won't go far from you. I'll still be here when you need. The second moment happens twice, once in this parsha, once in the next. When Lot is in danger, Avram doesn't give up on him. He rescues him when he's taken captive by invaders and he pleads for him on the eve of Sodom's destruction, ultimately helping him and his family escape. He's reminding Lot that even as he falls further and further into the traps of Sodom, he can get out. He can leave it behind. Lot, you are also the man who rose to greet those strangers in Sodom, who welcomed them into your home and fed them. That's who you are at your core, and that's who you need to be again. But you have to shift your path. Every metaphor is limited. I'm not saying that we American Jews are here to swoop in like Avram and save the day, but I am saying that I hope we can think and feel and care like Avram did, that in this moment of deep concern about Israel and its direction, we remember that they are our family. It's not the time to turn away, to become estranged, because they are deeply in danger. And that's precisely when our love matters most. A love that reminds you how far you've fallen. A love that helps you walk away from self-destruction, and return to the path we're called to travel together. Shabbat shalom. Hi, it's Rabbi Brass again. Thank you so much for listening. Want more content like this? I hope you'll subscribe and please Consider making a contribution to Ikar so we can continue to work toward the fulfillment of our mission, to reanimate Jewish life, to embody moral courage, to nurture the spirit, and to work to decipher what it means to be a human being in the world today. Visit our website at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And I hope to see you, maybe even in person, sometime soon.